So well, let's look at John chapter 2, where uh, Jesus turned the tables in uh, the temple. Well, actually overturned them, not just turned them. And uh, the verse is on the screen behind me there. John chapter 2, verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scripture. Passion for God's house will consume me. So after hearing me talk about turning the tables and looking at that clip from the princess bride and hearing about uh, Jesus in the temple, the more astute among you are thinking, what the heck does this have to do with the theme of our Christmas messages? We started last week. And the theme for our Christmas messages is all is calm, with a question mark after that. All is calm. And last week we heard about Jesus turning the water into the wine. And that creates, of course, um, a sense of peace, making things right. Um, Rescuing the situation. And we know that Jesus is into that business of restoring and healing and bringing peace and understanding. And all was calm at the wedding of Canaan. Of course, the phrase, all is calm, comes from a Christmas carol, Silent Night. But we have a question mark after it when we talk about it in our theme for our Christmas messages. All is calm, it's a question, because that's not always the way in our life. And after Jesus performing this miracle at Canaan, this passage is the next passage in, the, in John chapter 2. And turning over the tables in the temple seems really out of character with Jesus, and it's the only recorded event in the scriptures where he used any kind of physical force or perhaps even some form of aggression. And it can make us feel uncomfortable because it doesn't seem to fit in with what we know of Jesus. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace and all is calm, then why are there times in the Bible and times in our life when that's not the case? Why are there times when living for Jesus can be uncomfortable? Why are there times in our lives when the tables seem to be turned and the outcome is not what we expected? Or perhaps even the tables are overturned? In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talks about coming to stir things up. Warfare, times of battle, bringing a sword. Matthew 10.34, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And when we think of Jesus and Christmas, we think of the baby safely wrapped, lovingly held, all is calm. Warfare is the furthest thing from our minds. Yet this baby came to win victory. This baby came to confront sin. This baby came to take back what had been stolen from us. And while Christmas conveys all is calm... When we think of the story of Easter and the image of Jesus on the cross, nothing could be more opposite. And we understand the battle and the the conflict that is going on. I don't know whether you've ever been in a battle situation or not. The closest I've been in battle is playing paintball. And I recall the first time I ever played, I had no idea really what I was doing. 
um, there was a big open space with a log lying on the ground. And just like they do in the movies, I thought I'd run and lie behind the log and pop my head up and shoot the bad guys and so forth. So I ran and hid behind the log and lay flat down on the ground and I could hear the paint pellets whizzing over my head, making a noise. I thought, goodness me, if I put my head up to try and shoot the bad guys, I'm going to cop a paint pellet. And so I just lying behind this log and obviously the guys who were on the opposite team saw where I was and just kept on firing them at this log. And uh, it was quite frightening. In any way, it was not peaceful. It was, uh, it was quite uh, unnerving. And uh, sure enough, eventually I thought, well, I'll give it a go. I'll um, put my head up and uh, see what happens. And uh, I did so and uh, got one right in the head. <laughs> Fortunately, I, uh, I had a helmet on. So uh, all is calm. It wasn't then. Sorry, I just bumped the, uh, the iPad. I've got the message back again. So, there are times when the tables are turned and I believe that God is stirring things up in our life for a reason. He had a purpose, Jesus had a purpose in going into the temple and clearing that out. And that was to rid the temple of the clutter that causes our lives to become unholy. He knew the temple was the house of God, it was a holy place, a place set apart for worship and it was becoming anything uh, other than that. And I think when there are times when our lives are not calm, when things are stirred up, when the tables are turned, Jesus is wanting to cleanse us of that kind of thing as well. The ungodly practices and habits that we collect and build up and stop us in our uh, Christian living. The Bible says, you shall be holy as I, the Lord, am holy. And I think when there are times, times when there's things in our lives that are unholy, Sometimes God needs less than subtle approach. Sorry, an approach more than subtle. Something that's quite obvious and the tables are overturned. We shouldn't be surprised at that. Though for many, the expectation of what a Christian life is like is one that should be easy because God is looking after us. That all should be calm. And you can hear that expressed in prayers. When people are praying, Lord, help me. Lord, ease my pain. Lord, fix this. Lord, please look after that. Lord, please solve this problem. Give me peace. Now, sure, we need to bring everything to God. We certainly do need, because he cares for us. But remember too, God is the God who flooded the world to cleanse sin in Noah's time. God is the God who handed his own people over, his own nation, to their enemies to stop the nation in their tracks when they were turning from God. God is the God who caused the ground to open up and swallow people who were rebellious and close up on them again. Stories in, uh, in the exodus of, Moses, of the Israelites. God is the God who sent his people into battle to fight for the promised land. God is the God who led the disciples of the early church into challenging and tough situations so that the gospel might be spread. God is the God who tests the faith and loyalty of his followers so that they will grow and become strong. All of those stories are in the Bible. So how often are our prayers about stepping out in trust and asking God to dig out what is unholy in our lives? To pull us up for our poor actions and attitudes 
or to bring about godly change, to lead us through refining fires that can make us more like Jesus. Have you ever been game to pray a prayer like that? Instead of help me, Lord, bless me, Lord, guide me, Lord, Lord, challenge me, Lord, confront me, Lord, overturn the tables of unholiness in my life. Lord, clear out the clutter of things that prevent me from really understanding who you are and stop me from ministering to you as I should. Have you ever been game to pray that kind of a prayer? If the tables are turned in your life and there's no sense of calmness, it could be that there's something there that God desires to wash away and clean. But what does it mean to be holy? What does that mean? The Bible says, you shall be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. What does that mean? There's a verse in Colossians 3 that gives us a bit of a clue. Colossians 3, and it'll be on the screen. Verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now that verse talks about living in a holy way. And on the surface, that verse is pointing to living a morally good life. And there are important things for Christians to consider. But the challenge goes beyond that. Someone who doesn't know Jesus can live a morally good life, a life that's kind-hearted and tender and life that's forgiving, a life that's in peace. But for those of us who know God, there's more in it than that. The word in the Bible that's used for holy is a Hebrew word, kodesh, and it means set apart separateness worthy of regard respect and reverence so when God is saying I am holy God is saying I'm set apart I'm worthy of regard respect and reverence and when he says you shall be holy God is saying to us you shall also live a life that's set apart a life that's worthy a life that's worthy of respect and reverence a life that's dedicated to me. An example of being set apart is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, set apart, because it was a day when he rested from all his work in creation. There's an example of the word holy, meaning set apart and held for a special reason. God is holy. He's set apart from sin. There's no sin in him. He's set apart from the world. His actions are pure. His love, mercy and justice are all holy. And when we're referred to as holy people, living holy lives, we also should be living lives that are dedicated to God, set apart from the rest of the world for God's glory. So to be holy means that all we are and all we do belong to God, not to ourselves. Every aspect of our lives should be shaped and directed towards God. And in that sense, the pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of exploring 
what being dedicated to God means. If you want to live a life that's more holy, then live a life that's more dedicated to God. Live a life that has a closer and a deeper relationship with God. And from this, the desire for right living flows. I believe wholeheartedly that if God allows the tables to be turned in our lives, to be things to be overturned, where we're not sensing that all is calm, that God is telling us there's something within that we can focus on, we can draw closer to him, we can grow and we can learn. If all isn't calm, draw closer to God. If there's no peace, draw closer to God. Where there's emptiness, hurt and suffering, draw closer to God. Find that extra holiness, that deeper relationship. Where there's uncertainty or a lack of a direction, draw closer and find God. Keep in mind though, we can't do this on our own. One day we will stand before God's presence, holy and accepted to him. But that's only through the sacrifice that Jesus made. Romans 1 says, Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course the good news that ultimately the tables will be turned on Satan. They'll be turned in our favour. He will conquer death and sin. But because we can't do it on our own, doesn't mean that we sit back and don't try. Doesn't mean that we just relax and do nothing. Through the power of God's Spirit, we can do things to become more holy and turn the tables in our favour. Here's a few clues, a few uh, things I've learned as I've been reading through this week. The first thing we can do to turn the tables in our favour is follow the advice of Psalm 119, verse 11. That'll be on the screen. Get into the word of God. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have to know the word of God. If we're going to have lives that are holy and pure, if we're going to turn the tables in our favour, if we're going to make sure we haven't got that clutter, that temple clutter in our lives, we need to know the word of God. Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So even to have the ability to know what's right and wrong, to make sound decisions, to avoid sin, to live that life that's holy and set apart from God, we have to know the Word of God. Now that verse in Psalms, it talks about storing up God's Word in our hearts. I love that concept of storing up. It doesn't talk about when the going gets tough, flick open your Bible. Now that's a good thing to do. But the concept of storing up God's word in our hearts means it's there and it's ready. It's like uh, the animals in nature that uh, would store up food through the summertime so that uh, when the winter comes along and uh, things are barren and there's no food, they're fine. And I love that concept. We have to store the word of God. If you're not in the habit of storing up the word of God in your heart, then you're not prepared for when the challenging time comes. We can go and quickly grab a verse, take some time and contemplate, but much better to have it stored and ready in our lives. Second clue about living a holy life, we've been looking at this all year, keeping in step with the Spirit. Our theme, of course, at church has been by His Spirit. 
Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We know we can't do it on our own. We rely on the presence of God. If we're being led by the Spirit, then we won't clutter our lives with that which is unholy. We will desire to be set apart and to live that life for God. The third verse that helps us is Hebrews 10.24. It talks about being accountable to one another. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, if you talk about stirring someone up, it's usually talked about in the context of having a bit of sport with them, isn't it? Maybe there's someone that uh, you know that you like just to say a few words and it gets them stirred up and you enjoy watching that happen. Uh, I used to enjoy stirring up my sister-in-law. Being a school teacher, I have a few more holidays than she does. And uh, when we were together for family get-togethers, I'd say, oh, can't wait for the next holidays, I'm so weary. And that would get her going, and that was good fun. <laughs> Until the day I pointed out, well, she works a nine-day fortnight. We counted up all of those days, and she does no work from the time she leaves the office to the time she's back in the morning and so forth, and we kind of called the quits. But it was fun to stir her up, and maybe there's someone like that that you like to stir up as well. But have you ever thought of the idea of stirring up people to love and to good works? To get them going, to get them all fired up on the inside to love and do good works. The other part of that verse talks about meeting together. Don't neglect to do that. And I think there's a sense of accountability there, isn't there? Where we can come together, we can encourage each other, we can stir one another up to do, uh, to do good works and love. And if we're talking about that, if that's the focus of our conversations, then I think that will help us also to live lives that are closer to God and more holy. And the last verse I found that I think really helps us to live holy lives is uh, 1 Peter 1, 14, 15 and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If we keep doing the same old things, living the same old way, following the same old routines and habits, choosing to respond in the same old way to circumstances that arise, then we never really grow and I think become closer to God and more holy in our lives. Are we like the people in the t- uh, who Jesus cast out of the temple, people who have cluttered and filled their lives with uh, ungodly things rather than making sure that temple is holy and set apart. And this verse in 1 Peter says, stop, stop. Don't be conformed by the passions of your former ignorance. It implies that we're learning and we're growing and no longer ignorant of God's ways, gaining a deeper understanding of who God is. But it also, the verse says, says don't, uh, sorry, be holy in all of your conduct. And we do need to take time to stop and to think and reflect and say, God, what is it that I'm doing? How am I responding? How am I behaving and acting? Uh, Is this conduct holy? Is this godly? 
when Moses was being called by God, he was in the wilderness. And uh, you know the story of the burning bush. The bush was on fire but not being consumed. And out of that bush, Moses heard God's voice speaking to him and calling him. And God said, Moses, take off your shoes for you are on holy ground. Now that's a sign of respect. But also it removes a dusty, dirty barrier between Moses and the presence of God. And I think Jesus overturning the tables, cleaning out the temple, Moses taking his shoes off, is all about getting rid of what is holy, what pollutes our lives, what clutters our lives, what distracts and draws our attention from God. And I think if we do these things, then we will know all is calm, that it will be holy time in our lives. As I was concluding my message and preparing it, the verse came to mind from Psalm 46, verse 10. Very simple verse. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. If all is not calm in your life, as we charge along to Christmas and into another year, if there's not that sense of peace, if we feel that the tables have been turned against us, or overturned in our lives. Starting point is to be still and know that I am God. And I think we will find that calmness, that new sense of his presence, that uh, new insight into living a holy life. I want to finish my message here in a different kind of a way. Rather than me praying or asking the band to come up and play... Um, in a few minutes, I'm just going to leave the platform and we'll just sit in silence for a moment where we can be still and know that I am God, where you can reflect on what you've heard, what you've read in the verses this morning, perhaps what I've shared with you, what God might be placing on your heart. Challenges to draw close to him, to live a holy life, to think why the tables are being turned, what you can do to turn them back around again to reflect and uh, just between you and God. And uh, after a few minutes, um, Peter will come back. Um, he has our prayer cards um, with some uh, points of praise and uh, he'll lead us in a prayer of praise um, based on what's on the cards there and then we'll hand back over to the band to finish. But uh, let's just have a few moments now of, uh, of quietness where uh, you can chat with God. <laughs>